This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Awesome. Uh, thanks, RJ, again uh, for reading scripture for us. Uh, I like to inform the church on things you might know. Uh, we recently have uh, created a new ministry here at Austin Life within our students. Um, so RJ actually leads our student outreach team, and that's a team that we realize we ultimately would love students to be in our building, right? But there are a whole lot more students in Austin outside of our building than in our building. So Austin helps our um, so RJ helps uh, our different t- uh, team members go and be Jesus to students outside of our walls. It's pretty, it's pretty thing. Um, well, as I said, we're going to be looking inwardly just a bit um, as to what maybe the things that the Lord is wanting to show us to give Him a better picture of who He is. But before we start, I want to tell y'all a story uh, in very student pastor form as that is my training. Oh, by the way, yeah, I'm Stephen McCaslin, family minister here at Austin Life. Uh, I've been in the back with the kids a lot, and I know there are so many people here that I don't recognize because y'all have been coming like maybe since the semester started. So I'm glad y'all are here. Nice to meet all of you at one time uh, this morning. And you're going to get to know a little bit something about me and ultimately something about my marriage. Whoa, that's no, y'all didn't care about that as much as I did. So there's a combination of things about my body that frustrate my wife, Sarah, so much. Specifically, it's things with my face. And no, you bunch of bullies, it isn't the fact that whenever I smile, I have a mustache because I like it, but also this side of my mouth doesn't move. Like it's paralyzed or something. I can't make this side go up. It's not that, it's not that I have large ears see if I can do this on the mic. Um, we, were, we were talking in staff uh, last week, actually, about things that we used to get bullied for in middle school. <laughs> um, mine was, everyone told me I looked like the Amber Crabby and Fitch. Uh, monkey, or Air Postle. Air Postle, is that what it was? So it's, it's not that, but the problem actually lies in my nose. But before we get to that, I want to tell you about another problem I have. I have tinnitus. Anybody in here have tinnitus? Raise your hand. Okay, so y'all are going to hate this because there's so many of you that don't. What tinnitus is, is it's like something you had damage to your ear or maybe even a part of your brain. And for different people, it varies what it sounds like or what it is, but essentially you have a ringing in your ears. For some people, that goes away, comes, goes, ebbs and flows. For other people, it never stops. So my tinnitus, night and day, all the time is ringing. And we actually have the exact frequency of that we're going to play for you. So I'm going to mute my mic to all of our people. Also, yeah, you may want to turn your TVs down because we don't know what this is going to be like on the stream. So... Am I in? Okay, great. So my tinnitus, this is the, like, it's really tame right now. That's the quietest. So I know for, like, for my wife, Sarah, she's right by that speaker. It's pretty loud. For those in the back, it may be a bit quiet, but 24-7, nonstop is that. Can, y'all, y'all, is it going? Yeah, keep it going. Yeah, 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 keep it rolling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, because honestly, I, I thought it still was. All the time, I swear to you, I'm not exaggerating it. 24-7, this is what I hear. They're going to keep playing it for a bit, but I want to tell you now what the issue is with my nose. See, whenever it was my junior year and I was playing basketball 
practicing with a freshman team because I was not very good at sports. <laughs> a kid came down with a rebound, and when he did, his elbow drove straight onto the top of my nose, and it broke. And I knew that because it started bleeding, and then also, like, spinal fluid. If you've ever broken your nose, it's like a clear fluid that, like, leaks. So they were like, yeah, your nose is broken. But it didn't really move, so I didn't go to the doctor. They're like, it's not going to be reset, like, just kind of deal with it the way it is. And I was like, okay. So I kept going through practice, whatever. Um, but what that did is, although the outside shifted a little bit, um, it was actually funny. My first day at my previous church, a student goes, did you ever break your nose? I was like, man, that's a really rude way of telling me that my nose is crooked. Thanks, man. Uh, so although the outside didn't change a lot, it moved some of the stuff up there in the nasal cavity. And what it did is it almost entirely closed one of my airways. And with having the issue, yeah, I can hear it again now. I didn't hear it for a second because it got louder. With the issue of that plus constant uh, allergies, there's this thing, maybe y'all have heard it if you know me, when I breathe normally, my nose does this little high-pitched whistle. And it may be hard for you to tell now, but if I like, anyway, it whistles. I can assure you, I can assure you it whistles. So, so it's not my looks or anything that bothers Sarah, but like chewing and breathing and mouth noises like gets to her head. And my nose whistles, one of those things, but I have a problem. Because I have very, very slight deafness, because there's an issue with my hearing, I don't notice, it's the exact frequency. I literally don't know when my nose is whistling. So because, because of my partial deafness, I'm unable to see here, I'm unable to hear my problem that is causing heartache for other people. Now that you've been hearing this for a while, is anybody annoyed? Does that just get to, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm gonna stop talking and I want you to stop it. And let, like, wait, in a second, is it still going? Okay, yeah, I want you to like experience what I never get to, and that's your tinnitus ending. So you stopped it? Yeah, yeah. So that's what my life is 24-7. And what we've got here is a story where Jesus notices that, his, that the people around him, the people who should know the best, his disciples and the Pharisees, who are very well read on Scripture, are missing out on who he is. And he uses the analogy of vision, not of hearing, but just as I am unable to hear my issues because of my problem with my hearing, Jesus is telling his, his people that they're missing out on who he is because of their blindness. That is down here. We have a lot of scripture uh, today, so we read it all together, and we not, may not read every verse now throughout the sermon. Um, Starting especially with Mark 8, if you want to flip there, uh, verse 1. We have a secondary story where, that's going to go down there, where Jesus feeds a lot of people. Now, much to Robert Cohn's distress, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this text. He was so mad. He was like, nobody talks about the feeding of the 4,000. You better do it. Like, and I was like, we're going to go a little bit, but we can't spend too much time this morning. Uh, but I will say, if you want to learn more about the goodness and power of who God is, check out our podcast from August 29th. Uh, Corey goes into a lot more in depth uh, into this feeding and what it means. But I want us to look at a few differences because right, whenever we read through this, we see, okay, there were a bunch of people, Jesus fed them. It's pretty much the exact same story as before because we don't recognize how important these things are, but his disciples should have very clearly seen what he was saying. 
The first is that the feeding of the 5,000 was to a Jewish audience and the feeding of 4,000 was to a Gentile audience. We know this because of the region that Jesus and his disciples are in when he performed this miracle. We would have known that the 5,000 were Jewish, the 4,000 were Gentile. The second is this. Whenever they see the people hungry with the feeding of the 5,000, the disciples come to Jesus concerned for them. They say, we got got to send them home. We don't have any food for them. But in the 4,000, you'll notice in verses one and two, it's Jesus who notices the need of the people. And he says, we've got to feed them. Instead of the disciples coming to him, he goes to his disciples. The third difference is that in the feeding of the 5,000, they could have made it home. We see the the disciples see they're hungry and they say, you've got to send them home so they can eat. We can't afford to feed them. But in the feeding of the 4,000, they could not make it home. In verse three, uh, Jesus notices that they would pass out on their way home. It would have been impossible. His exact words is, uh, if I send them hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. So the feeding of the 5,000, they had an ability to go home, but Jesus recognizes these people could not make it home without him feeding them first. This next one uh, that's really uh, neat, but is even neater whenever Robert shared some information with me on the uh, Greek, these words, what they mean. With the feeding of the 5,000, there were 12 leftover baskets, and the 4,000, there were seven. So the number 12 would have been really important uh, to a Jewish audience. We can think of things like the 12 tribes of Israel. And the number seven would have been really important to a Gentile audience. Think completion, creation, those sorts of things would have been important to a Gentile audience. And I'm going to come back. There's a little asterisk there. I'm going to come back to that uh, here later because there's even more to that. But the last one, number five, is that with the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus had ministered to the crowd for one day but with the feeding of the 4,000, Jesus had ministered to the crowd for three days. Right, so like I said, for us, even when we look at these differences, can you actually, yeah, thanks, thanks, Erica. If you can leave us up there. When we look at these differences, they're still just kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, so Jesus noticed them, that's cool. Oh, they couldn't make it home probably because they lived farther away. But there's so much more to even this, what Jesus is teaching them. Remember, one crowd was Jewish, And one crowd was a Gentile audience. And we see the disciples have concern for the Jewish people. With a Gentile crowd, the disciples don't seem to have that. Or yet, even if they were going to get there, Jesus sees their need, their desperate need, because they could not make it home without the bread that he had to give him. The Jewish people had a way home, but the Gentiles did not. Jesus shows compassion towards them. What's super cool, right, with, this, with these baskets, and I'm not gonna go into the exact words because honestly, I don't know Greek and it would take way too long, but the word for basket in these two texts is actually different. Think of like if I, you had a pint of milk and a gallon of milk. These, these words for baskets were measurements, correct? Okay, I'm making sure, it would have ruined my whole thing if you're like, that's not what I said. So they were like measurements and what's neat is the word used for the 12 baskets is roughly half the size of measurement as the word used for seven baskets. And if we didn't know this, we'd be like, well, gosh, I guess Jesus loves the Jewish people more because he's giving them even more bread left over. But what's so cool is in meeting the different crowds' needs and, and showing something important to them with a the number of leftover baskets, Jesus says, my fullness, my excess of life I have for you is exactly the same. 
the Jewish crowd gets this much abundant of, abundant, abundant of me and the Gentile crowd gets this much abundant of me. It's so neat. And lastly, the fact that Jesus uh, had ministered to the Gentile crowd for three days, he's already, although we don't know this, uh, or we know this, but his, his disciples wouldn't, foreshadowing his death. Say so the Gentiles need three days of ministering, three days in the grave, and then a resurrection. See, for us, these things could, be, could slip through the cracks. But for his disciples, these numbers, these facts, these little details, besides the three days, because he's going to talk about that here in just a few verses, these things should have been obvious. But our main point here is that the disciples still act like they didn't just see Jesus feed 5,000 people. We have them here. Uh, in verse 5, they ask him, or sorry, uh, in verse 4, his disciples say, well, how can we feed these people? We're in a desolate place. How do we feed them? So either they forgot what Jesus had done, or they didn't think he would do it again. Maybe they saw that Jesus had fed 5,000 people and they're thinking like his chakra needs to be recharged and there's no way he could do it again. Or maybe they see the fact that it's a Gentile audience. So they're standing as disciples going like, well, God cares for his people, but these, the Gentiles, these aren't, these aren't his chosen people. I don't think he'll feed them. So let's not have concern for that there. No matter what the reasoning is, his disciples are blinded to the fullness of who Jesus is. Specifically, a Lord for all and a miracle-working God. His disciples are lost to the fact that he is a Lord for all, both Jews and Gentiles, and that he is a miracle-working God. Let's keep these things in our head and let's move on to uh, Jesus leaving the town. So in normal Jesus fashion, he gets on a boat and he goes across the sea and lands somewhere new. And let's read verses 11 and 12, or 11 through 13 to refresh our memory on these. It says, The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking for him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. We have the Pharisees here. They're asking Jesus for a sign from heaven. Now you may be thinking, he, he literally just fed 4,000 on the other side of the sea, but that's not what the Pharisees were asking for. See, maybe they were wanting something like we see just at the beginning of Mark, in Mark chapter one through nine, like a descending spirit as if it were a dove coming from the heavens, the sky parting and a voice shouting, saying, this is my son, my beloved son. Maybe that's, what they were looking for. Or maybe if they would just be patient, we're going to see in Mark chapter 9 uh, the story of the transfiguration. Now Jesus, because of this, I believe, only takes a few people up on that mountain with him. But maybe the sign from heaven they're wanting to see is Moses and Elijah and Jesus turning glowing white. And once again, a voice from the clouds, a sign from heaven is what they're wanting to see. And we get from the book of Matthew uh, chapter 27 verses 39 through 44. We see they ask Jesus this again. Whenever he's on the cross, they're mocking him and jeering him. And they're like, if you were really God, send angels down. Give us a sign from heaven that you are God. See, 
in true Pharisee fashion, they weren't concerned with people, they were concerned with themselves. See, they didn't want a sign to be fed, healed, or saved, but just to be wow, just to be, oh, look, there's, there's the God we've read in our scripture. I mean, probably to give them, give them some credit, like they've studied these scriptures, they would love to encounter God like Moses got to encounter God, right? Like, oh, just imagine like him placing his hand over our eyes and seeing him as he leads us. I'm sure they want to encounter God that way, but they're more concerned with some show from Jesus than to see the people of God healed and fed and ultimately saved from their sins. We see here that because of this, specifically it says that Jesus is so overwhelmed that he doesn't just sigh. He's not like, oh man, come on, get it guys. But he sighs from within his soul. From deep within, he sighs. And he asks, why does this generation seek a sign? And then he says, truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And spoiler alert, I think that's why in uh, chapter nine, we see Jesus selecting a very few people to experience this sign from heaven that he is soon gonna give, right? So we get here. Earlier, the disciples were blinded to the fullness of who Jesus was, O Lord of all, and a miracle-working God. And here, we have, the, we have the Pharisees blinded to the fullness of who Jesus is. The fact that he is Lord of heaven and of earth. And he is Lord who is most concerned with feeding, healing, and saving his people. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I know a lot of people personally, I've been asked it so many times from unbelievers who say, They'll be, I'll believe in what you say if, if you can show me where God lives. Like, like if I can physically see him, I will finally say, okay, that guy must be Lord. I've never had someone come to me and say, if you can show 5,000 people fed with four loaves, I'll believe in the Lord. That's not what our hearts want to see. I think a lot of times for unbelievers or skeptics, we want to see a big wowing show, not necessarily just selfishly, although I think there's part of that, but we also want to see something amazing, say that must be who God is. I believe in that. And that's the Pharisees' issue here. And then we're going to read... Um, our next story here, uh, we have the disciples still being defeated by bread. We would think at this point they would get it, but they're still being defeated by bread. Right, so the Pharisees ask their question. Jesus is heartbroken, and he does, once again, good Jesus fashion. Gets on a boat, goes across the sea, and goes somewhere else. But while they're on the boat, verses 14 through 22, we have them forgetting to bring bread. You think, you think as disciples, this honestly makes me feel good when I forget things as a pastor, like forgetting to buy a table for the kids check-in or whatever it be. Like the disciples still don't bring bread with them. And maybe you're thinking, oh, they've seen Jesus multiply the bread, so they just know it's easier to pack light and trust him to perform the miracles. But that's not what happens because it sees in uh, verse 14, we see they only have one loaf. And Jesus takes this as an opportunity to warn them of the Pharisees' teaching because they were just wanting to be wowed instead of seeing people get saved. So he uses the bread as analogy, just as I use my tinnitus as analogy. And he cautioned them, verse 15, saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And immediately, <laughs> right, his disciples began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. 
Jesus is like, look out for the leaven of the Pharisees. And instead of like getting what he's telling them, they're like, what do you mean? We don't have bread. How, the, the, we only have one loaf and we made it. We know the, the Pharisees didn't make this. They're not poisoning us. They're not trying to kill us with the leaven that's within this bread. So they're confused. And then right afterwards, we see they be, uh, yeah, yes, yeah, so sorry. They, yeah, they had no bread. So Jesus is trying to teach them, but they're so distracted by their desires that they completely lose the point of what he's trying to show them. And the meat of all of our verses here come from 17 through 18. So let's read those together. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see? Having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember? This is where the disciples have what I'd like to call their Michael Scott moment. One of my, one of my favorite, uh, well, our staff loves sending gifts to one another, not gifs. We love sending gifts to one another, right? So whenever there's a chaotic moment, sending like the Elmo who's engulfed in flames with his hands flailing around, you know what I'm saying? And, but one of my favorites is Michael Scott going, can you explain it to me like I'm five, right? I'm a simple-minded person. Sometimes I need things dumbed down for me. But if you're not familiar with this TV show, The Office, uh, one of the accountants named Oscar walks into the boss's office. The boss who's not very brilliant. And he's like, hey, I need to talk to you about our surplus. And Michael, knowing that that's already way over his head, goes, can you explain it to me like I'm eight? So he says, well, you know, let's say, you know, uh, the top of the company. What's the name of that? Can you help me out here? The CEO, let's say the CEO. Yeah, the CEO gives us $40,000 a year, but we only spend $36,000. They'll know next year that they only need to give us $36,000, so we need to spend all that leftover money so we get it again next year. And you see Michael confused, and he goes, can you explain it to me like I'm five? So they're like, okay, mommy and daddy gives you $10 for a lemonade stand, but you only spend nine, so next time they're only gonna give you nine, so you need to make sure you spend all 10, and it dawns on them, and then they start talking about whether they need to order new chairs or a new printer, but we see the disciples here have that moment, right? Jesus is fed 5,000, and they're confused, so then they go like, okay, can you explain it to us like I'm five? So he feeds 4,000 and still proves a miracle, and then they get on the boat, and, and, and Jesus is like, hey, beware of the leaven. Like, but we don't have any bread. Can you explain it to us like we're five? We're still confused. We don't get it. They have their Michael Scott moment. And Jesus here is overwhelmed with the fact that of all he has done, the countless miracles, blind people with, who have gained sight, paralyzed people who have never walked, walking, thousands of people being fed, people being raised from the dead and they're still going, but we don't have, we only have one loaf of bread for the seven of us. I'm sure Jesus is thinking, I just fed 4,000 people with seven loaves. I think I can handle uh, 13 people, sorry, 13 people with one loaf. I think I can do this. But they're so overwhelmed with their hunger and distracted. So in verses seven, uh, 17 through 18, he's asking them, like, how could you have forgotten already are you blind? Like, do you literally not see me feeding people? Are you deaf? Do you not hear these people that I'm healing running to their towns and proclaiming my goodness? Can you not hear the shouts of praise when all these hungry people are being fed? Are, are, you, like, are you literally unable to hear? He says, maybe it's just you have a hard heart. Are you so focused on yourself, your selfish desires, 
that your heart is completely hardened to whatever I'm doing. And then ultimately when he asks, do you not perceive or understand? He's kind of saying like, are you, are you, are you stupid? Like, do you, do, you, do you not, like, how can you not get it? I've been doing so much and you're still concerned with bread while we're on this boat. How can you be so blind to who I am? And then we get here the text that brings all of this together where Jesus heals this blind man. We're gonna read this in its entirety as well together. So let's go to Mark chapter 8, 22 through 26, where the Lord says, and they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by his hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes, he laid his hands on him and asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him home saying, do not even enter the village. This story is very similar to what we see all throughout the book of Mark right? Some friends or family bring a person to Jesus and say, can you please heal them? Even if it takes them ripping the roof off of someone's home and lowering them down from the ceiling, people are doing whatever they can to get their sick friends to Jesus. Even a woman in a crowd who's been bleeding for years and years and years know Jesus' power. She didn't even need Jesus to touch her. She just touched the hem of his garment and was immediately healed after decades of nonstop bleeding. But this man's healing is a bit different, right? In verse, in verse 22, they, the friends are like, can you just touch him? They don't ask, hey, can you heal our friend? They beg Jesus, can you touch him? And we see Jesus touch the man by grabbing his hands, but it, is he healed? Is he healed yet? No, he's still blind. So Jesus does something special and he, and he touches the hands of the man and he leads him out of the village. And I want you to hear this today. If you're asking the Lord to heal you of something, maybe it's of emotional turmoil, maybe it's a physical ailment of yourself or a family member or a friend, maybe you're dealing with depression or anxiety and you're asking like, God, can you, can you touch me? Can you heal me? Know that the Lord is always moving. You may not be healed in the moment, but he is if you call upon him, taking you by the hand and guiding you maybe out of the village of life where whatever t period of life you're in and guiding you somewhere new, but you still might be wrestling with a thing that you desired to be healed from. So hear that today as encouragement. If you are someone seeking the Lord right now to heal something in your life, know that he may not be giving you vision immediately like he has in all these other stories. He may be taking you by the hand and saying, just trust me, let me lead you somewhere new. So we see this is the only time in the book of Mark that we have Jesus touching someone and they're not immediately healed, but instead Jesus heals in three steps, right? So the first time he touches him and he leads him to a new place, and then it says that he spits on his eyes. Maybe thinking, why did Jesus, like, is that is it being rude? But likely because of this man's blindness, he would have had like crusties, 
because we know that before he has been able to see because he knows what trees look like. So this guy at some point in his life had vision. Therefore, his blindness was probably a disease that caused his eyes to become blind. And then just because of the lack of modern medicine with his eyes being closed, that gunk would have built up. So Jesus likely would have spat on his eyes to remove that as well as, well as, as, well as perform a miracle in him. And then he opens his eyes and is he healed yet? Kind of. Like not really though. Like I wouldn't be satisfied in that personally. If I was like, Lord, can you heal me of my depression? And then I woke up still depressed, just a little bit less depressed. I don't know if I'd be satisfied with that. Or if I said, Lord, can you help me walk again? And then he's like, yeah, I'll help one leg become unparalyzed. They'd be like, I don't know. Like, I'm grateful, but this isn't, I thought you were a God that was amazing. This is only like, all right. We become confused. Hey, he's good. This is a family service, man. Enjoy your time, bud. We love it, right? Don't we love little kids being in here? Y'all love it? That's what I'm talking about. I love it. So we have Jesus touches him and still he is not fully healed. And then a third time, right? It says that Jesus lays his hands on his eyes. In verse 25, and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. See, we have three stories where both his disciples who have been walking with Jesus constantly and Pharisees who knew the entire Old Testament like it was the back of their hand missing out. So then in this story, we have Jesus heal a man in a way to teach his disciples. See, just with his disciples, right? He called them into the ministry. And just as he took this blind man by the hand and led him, and the man trusted him in that. The disciples dropped their fishing nets. They left their tax stand and pretty blindly followed and trusted Jesus. And then over time, as he performed miracles in front of them, for them and taught them, their vision was becoming clearer. They were beginning to see, not just walking blindly, but seeing and understanding, oh, that's why I said yes to this guy. He just fed 5,000 people with a few loaves of bread and some fish. Like, I'm, I'm starting to get it but they're still blinded by the fullness of who Jesus is. But what's so cool is that our Lord is not satisfied with that. Just the same way that he would not be satisfied with just one leg being healed or just being only a little bit depressed instead of very depressed. The Lord is not satisfied with partial vision, but he desires for us to see him fully and clearly. There are different things that can blur our vision as we point inward, but really it's, it's all here in the text. Maybe it's a disbelief in God's faithfulness. Maybe too many times we felt let down by God. I've been there. I imagine some of you might have as well. Maybe we feel like uh, God is more faithful to let us down than faithful to do good for us. Maybe it's selfishness. Maybe we only want what we want. We want to be wowed. We want to be amazed. Maybe it's forgetfulness. Like when he asks the disciples, you forget what I've done? Like, what do you mean we don't have bread? Or maybe we just simply forget what God has done in our lives. Maybe we have blind eyes or deaf ears to who he is or ultimately a hard heart as Jesus warns his disciples and, and calls the Pharisees out on. And a hard heart can be from a lot of things. Maybe it's from sin in our lives causing, uh, holding us back from seeing him who he is. Maybe the hard heart is caused by not understanding his faithfulness or being selfish or being forgetful. But ultimately, there are some things that hold us back. And you would think 
that the people who've been to church their whole lives would, would have clear vision, like we've seen everything. But I would like to make an argument I'm not, I don't want to point fingers, just something that I, I observed and I actually thought of this morning is that I think our, our five people who were baptized a few weeks ago have a clear vision of who Jesus is and the people who've grown up in the church. And we see that, right? Last week, whenever, whenever Corey taught out of, out of chapter seven, these people who were healed, they didn't have to read and study the Bible. They weren't going to discipleship group and community group and church every Sunday and reaching out in their community. Whenever they were healed, they were instantly so excited they saw Jesus clearly. And the Lord does that when he heals us. We see him clearly when we're saved and we accept the, the spirit into our hearts and Jesus is our savior. He gives us a clear vision. But over time, we begin putting things in our life that begin to blur him. See, I wasn't born with tinnitus. It's not like I was born from the age of one not able to hear very well. What it was was being stupid, playing guitar in front of my amp too loud and shooting guns without hearing aids because I thought, oh, it's fine, I'll get away with it. No, it was by the time uh, I was about 24, uh, or no, that's a lie. When I was 20, I was like, I can, it's kind of, but I'll be fine. And by the, by the time we lived in Muleshoe, so for the past four years, that, that ringing I heard nonstop. And it's not because something that's always, it was not something that had always been there. I caused it to myself. See, I was born with good hearing, but because of my poor choices, I began to create a partial deafness. And just in the same way in our lives, Jesus heals us, he gives us a clear vision, but we put roadblocks ourselves that stop us from seeing him clearly. But like I said, what's so amazing is that Jesus does not want to leave us partially healed, but he desires for us to have clear vision. So what things might be holding you back from seeing the fullness of Jesus, right? Like what things might, because, and if you're wondering like, how, how could I know? I mean, I've been going to church. I, I think I see Jesus pretty clearly. I would make the argument that if you're not excited constantly to be in conversation with God through praying, if you have to like make it a chore to read your Bible or when you go to church and you're singing, you're kind of like, joy in the house of the Lord. I'm gonna surely in this place. We won't be quiet. Like, right? Like, if, if there's not a joy and a constant desire, like we saw in chapter seven, where these people were healed, and Jesus says, Hey, please don't tell everybody. They're like, No, I'm telling my neighbors, I'm telling my family, I'm telling my dog when I get home, because you are so good. I can't stop from sharing who you are. If, if that's you in your life, then I would guess that you have put things in your life that are blurring your vision. So, what are those things that might be stopping you from seeing God who He is and worshiping Him? with full abandon as we talked about last week. As our band comes forward, I, I want us to be able to spend a few minutes reflecting on that. So if you'll throw those questions up for me up top, these are the questions I want us to reflect upon. Where are you in your own healing? Right? So first, have you taken Jesus' hand to follow him? What this means is have you accepted him as your savior? And if not, what's holding you back? I'm not saying you have no valid reasons. I'm not trying to be like, what's holding you back? Come on. But are there things that are stopping you from seeing him? Do you question his faithfulness? Maybe do you question scripture going, this is just some book written thousands of years ago. There's 20 other religions that have one just like it. Why should I trust it? Or maybe it's just a hardness of your heart where different life experiences you have are making you think, man, if there's a God, I don't know how he could be good for the things that I've experienced. What are the things that are holding you back?
if that if that is you, if you do resonate with that. Second is, do you see Jesus, but feel like your understanding of him is blurred? Once again, if you may may not be certain if that's you, that's maybe if you're not excited for script, to be in scripture, excited to pray. Whenever you need advice, you seek the Lord first and then call your friends. And whenever you sing to the Lord, you have joy, whatever that looks like for you. I'm not saying everyone should do backflips. Joy can be different people, but do you have joy? And if so, if you have a blurred vision of him, what things might be hindering you from seeing him clearly? And then finally, can you see him clear as day for who he is? And if so, what is he calling you to? We see here that this man, whenever Jesus gives him vision, Jesus doesn't just go, okay, you see, see you later. What does he do? Go home. He gives him a mission now because he sees both literally clearly and see Jesus, sees Jesus clearly. Once again, have you taken Jesus' hand to follow him? And if not, what is holding you back? Do you see Jesus, but feel like your understanding of him is blurred? If so, what things may be hindering you from seeing him clearly? And then can you see him clear as day for who he is? And if so, what is he calling you to? I won't give too much of a spoiler, but we have here what Mike's gonna share uh, from the word with us in verses 27 through 30 is his disciples are gonna make a decision, right? Jesus is telling them like you're living life with a blurred vision. I, I want you to have clear vision as to who I am. And they're about to make a decision whether they wanna keep a blurred vision or see Jesus for who he is. And I know what the Lord has planned for you in this is that he wants you to see clearly. I don't, I'm not saying I'm a prophet and I know what job or what town he wants you to live in. The Lord hasn't gifted me that, but what he has gifted me with through his scripture is knowing that he wants you to see clearly. So I encourage you as, as we prepare to sing, reflect on these questions, really look deep in your heart and see what the Lord, uh, see who you see yourself as and then secondly, what the Lord is calling you to next. I'm gonna pray for us now. Father, you are so good to us. And for some of us, maybe we haven't seen miracles. We haven't seen you work in our lives. We haven't seen you do amazing things. Um, so God, I just, I ask for those of us in the room who can relate to that, that you give us a clear vision of you. And if that's not the case, maybe that you just trust us to, to reach out our hand as you take hold of us and lead us. Father, I think there's a lot of us here in this room who've, been, who've grown up in church, who've seen you do cool things, who've been to all of the Bible studies, who've been to all every Sunday morning, but because of our choices, we don't see you clearly. We've put roadblocks in the way of being able to see how beautiful and wonderful you are, God. And if that's any of us in this room today, I pray in a miraculous way right now that you lay your hands on us and give us clear vision. And what that looks like is surrender of the things that we hold tightly to, God, that you, you give us a clear vision to let go and follow you. And God, if we're someone who you've done that, you have given us clear vision, God, I pray now that you give us a clear mission. God, for the people who see you, who desire you, God, but we feel lost on what we're supposed to do. God, give us a vision of what you have in store for us. 
May your spirit be present with all of us as we think through these questions and as we worship you. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.